Diversity Connects Us. This podcast highlights lived experiences and inspirational stories of strength and tenacity. We will share profound and courageous dialogues that influence diversity, equity, and inclusion by breaking the barriers and labels of stereotypes, confronting biases, and offering best practices to achieve a more significant, cultural, and emotionally intelligent mindset. Welcome to part two of Hip Hop for Change. My name is Rochelle Carrier, and I'm a DEI consultant and authoress of Emotional Intelligence, a toolkit for managing DEI in the workplace. The link to purchase the ebook will be in the comments. And for a living, I help thought-provoking leaders implement DEI plans and reframe their mindsets. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Tammy and Caffrey. Tammy, if you'd like to introduce yourself to the audience. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Tammy Triolo. I am the founder of PCQ Consulting. And what I do is help companies create amazing cultures. And I also help them with DEI strategies. Thank you so much, Rochelle, for letting me be your co-host today. Oh, it's so wonderful to always have you. And Caffrey, if you can introduce yourself in your unique way to the audience. Yes, yes, I'd be honored. Thank you so much for having me. Shout out, Tammy. Good to see you again. <laughs> uh, I'm Kathy Jade, founder and executive director of Hip Hop for Change, uh, the nation's largest hip hop education nonprofit. I have dedicated my life to trying to lift my community and my people up. I'm from San Francisco, Hunters Point, spotted that ain't on the tourist map. And I know how uniquely impactful hip hop was on my ascension to becoming an organizer and understanding my inner strength and power. And, and yeah, I want that for our youth. And I feel like if we do not take back our culture, then how can we support our youth who are of that culture? So that's what I've dedicated my life to. And I'm just happy to be here rocking with y'all. So thank you. Oh, thank you. it's such a pleasure. Thank you. That goes with the unconscious biases that some of us have within us. Yeah. And that we carry around with us mm-hmm. and how that narrative You know, it starts really young. And I think it's important also, especially, I mean, your daughter's three minus seven and she started internalizing racism at three years old, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And there were so many things that were presented to me whereby I had to initiate conversation for her to be able to understand and know that her narrative was not a narrative conducive to how we really are. And, you know, I had to retrain the brain with books. I, you know, get rid of all the white princess books and, you know, princess and the pea and (laughs) princess Tiana and Oprah is the mom, like more black characters, more representation. So I think it's really important. Like that person who like, held on to the stroller when they saw you, that's when the conversations need to begin within yourself and within your family members. Yeah. Because then I could have perpetuated it between all of us. <laughs> I, could have, yeah. I could have not said anything and not addressed the narrative that she was already incurring in her little mind. And yeah. just, oh no, it's nothing. You know, we're not racist. No, that's not true. That's when all the thoughts, the racist thoughts, the ideas and the narrations begin. Yeah, yeah. my daughter is Elsa now and Frozen is her favorite in the world. It's like her face. She is Elsa. She wants me to braid her hair like right. Elsa, all that stuff. And we are 
singing Frozen and Let It Go as loud as we can in the car. You know what I'm saying? I've been waiting for her to hold on to the song so we can start singing. And yeah, I was mortified when she liked Paw Patrol and her favorite one was the police officer dog. I was, more, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you know? So now I'm trying to initiate those interactions with new black creators and things like that. I mean, I remember when she said, oh, daddy, a screwdriver is for boys. And I was like, no, baby. I was like, now she has a tool set in her room so she can start building and creating. We have to be there for these kids. But we have to be there. We have to understand these things and these vehicles. And I argue certain people don't have any skin in the game to have to know that stuff. You know what I'm saying? So how do they see these little things and these little, the little nicks and cuts, you know, where we die a death of a thousand cuts? They don't. And I don't think that person did anything wrong, but he did. He did. His son was look. His son almost came in the elevator first. He said, "No, no, no, wait, wait, wait." And his son was like, "You know, like I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, homie." And I've taught thirty thousand kids K through twelve. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, give me your baby. And you know what I'm saying? You should just give me your kid. You slip. Um, (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But I think that's the thing that we're dealing with is that. Hip hop has become the largest cultural expressive form in the world. It's just like, you know, when you're young girls or boys and you have parents, you're like, don't know, don't go do everything you want to do. It's like, you can't even tell kids that. You just have to prepare them and set them up with the moral compass and conviction to know what's right and wrong and hope that they do what they need to do. And most likely that kid is going to love hip hop. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Love hip hop, but he's probably still going to have the biases that he has because he's probably going to consume hip hop through the radio, the media, whatever. So if we can get in the way with that, with Hip Hop for Change and build up a platform that is right. almost like this one, I want Hip Hop for Change to be one of the big four. You know, Time, Sony, Universal, and this 501c3 Hip Hop for Change. Because when you put chili meat next to filet mignon, you know, we're barbecuing. You know what I'm saying? You know, because... <laughs> so, yeah, people say, are you trying to take out the industry? No, I just need an alternative to be accessible for our youth so they can choose... You know, if they want to hear something different, right? Right. Do we have these cultural moments in hip hop, like Brenda's got a baby when they reminisce yeah, yeah. the UNITY and whatnot? Yeah. Like we rarely get. Maybe Kendrick has one. You're like we gonna be all right. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that one. But that's not even as big as the cultural moments we used to have in hip hop. You know yeah. what I'm saying? When we start having those cultural moments again, it will change the narrative in society overnight. You know, I remember when Brenda's Got a Baby came out and on CNN, they were like, black people care about teen pregnancy. <laughs> like, like, y'all didn't know that? Y'all didn't know that yesterday? But that's the power of hip hop. You know, when hip hop flipped the governor's election in Florida and Janet Reno won, you know what I'm saying? Because the other candidates start going after, you know, Uncle Luke and, you know, all these people trying to basically censor them. And he created this political song that flipped an entire election. Uh, and then Janet Reno's like, oh, my God, we got the black community behind us. Well, maybe try investing in this next time, like on purpose. Yeah. 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 A lot of strength and a lot of power. And I think, you know, like KRS once said, if it has the power to destroy our communities, it has the power to save them. too. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm curious to know what local artists, specifically the women that you talked about, what are they going to be talking about now with this abortion ban? Because we talked a little bit about this in on the backstage, that there's two different reactions to this. <laughs> one that white women are having and one that black women are having. For a lot of black women, we're just like, yeah, we've been here. Like, this, like y'all are new to this party, but we've been here. Like, I think you follow Teresa Robinson on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she posted a post of a white woman crying and, you know, <laughs> oh, um, yes. the black lady looking like, 
Right. Right. <laughs> and, and kind of the response to this abortion. So I'm curious yeah. to know what what black women, particularly in hip hop, what that rap is going to be like, what that mm. messaging is going to be like, because same thing with Queen Latifah when she did UNNTY Unity. Like mm. that was an anthem. Like every black woman I know, every white woman I know was, was like, you know, doing unity with Queen Latifah. So I'm curious to know what female rap artists are going to be talking about specifically mm. around this issue. That's if a good I, question. If I were to guess, it's probably going to be a lot of frustration. Right? Yeah. It's probably going to be a lot of anger. There might even be some hope in there, but I don't know. A lot of the rappers that I follow, they're not very supportive of this nation. And they're not really betting people like I ain't no betting person. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I know that women in hip hop have been spinning fire since hip hop started. Right. And I know particularly black women just spit fire. And, you know, they changed the trajectory of the nation's swag. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I think this is a beautiful kind of a moment where you see white women like, oh, my God, Handmaid's Tale. Oh, my God. And then black women are like, you know what I'm saying? I think that's what the rap's going to be like. It's going to be embodying that look like child. Like, you know child. Child. Like, you know what I'm saying? I think that's what it's going to be because I'm not surprised by this nation. You know, I'm not the most politically expedient cat in the world. I think I'm up on some game, but when Mitch McConnell blocked Barack Obama's uh, Supreme Court pick, I was like, Roe versus Wade is gone. You know what I'm saying? And there's no women in vagina hats that's going to stop that. You know what I'm saying? Again, if white women can't say Roe versus Wade, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what queer people are going to do for marriage equality. I have no idea. No. Uh, but I, I don't know the white women that were trying to stop it because 54% of them in the first election... Voted for Trump. And then the second election, it was 57. So okay. even more went to Trump the second time around. Right. So I think some of those white women really believed what they said to them. Like they just took it at face value when they said, we're not going to touch Roe v. Wade, it's settled law. And they actually believed that. And I, I, don't, I don't think all of those women that voted for Trump the first or second time around really thought that we were going to be here. But if they were listening to black and brown women, we were telling them that's exactly where we're going. And this is where we come from as well. Like we came from there, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And we are yeah. headed back in a handbasket, right? Yeah. Uh, real fast. So I don't know. I don't even know what to say because I don't really have hope that this nation is going to make it without something coming to a head and something burning down. This nation has never changed without bloodshed. Yeah. Nothing's ever changed in this country in any way that affected the economy, that affected like big laws without blood happening in the streets. This nation has a monopoly on violence. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And power does not give its own power up without a fight. And in this nation, we got more guns and anybody in the world. We could, There's a fight coming. You know what I'm saying? And I hope it could be a political one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But we lost the Supreme Court for the next 10 years, at least. So what's going to happen in the next 10 years, right? There's a big chance, like, we haven't even put held Trump and his cronies accountable yet. And we're how far into it? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, Trump might be president in 2024. We have no idea. And I'm just going to say that now, because there's a big chance that Trump can be president in 2024. What kind of sense does that make? You know what I'm saying? He's grabbing women in their private parts, right? He's doing insurrections, right? He's grifting his people for $250 million after the election for something he knows is a lie. And our country might still elect this man. You know what I'm saying? We got Fox News, like, running roughshod over truth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Making billions off of that. And that's okay, right? We have people selling seats 
to like, you know, our Congress and people selling yes. pardons and things like that. Rudy Giuliani is still a free man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, I think the, the idea of the sanctity of our government and those hollowed halls that we used to think were so hollow, you know what I'm saying? Whatever the conjugation of that is, that's gone. Right. That's gone. Yeah. And that we'll never get that kind of sacredness back of our idea of democracy. And black folks ain't never thought that anyway. So all the people welcome. Welcome. <laughs> we have cake. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like We've been waiting. And that's why I think black women are like that, because I do see white women just loop, freaking out. And I see black women like getting mad at white women freaking out. Just like, man, we've been trying to tell you, tried to told you, you know what I'm saying? And, and oppression for anyone. It's going to be a pressure for everyone. Everyone, yeah. For everyone. Yeah. Just everyone. They're not excluded. No, yeah. no. And more importantly- It's always when it's, it's just when it's your turn, yeah. right? right? That's all it is. Yeah. When is your turn? But everybody gets a turn. Everybody gets a turn. We've got white supremacy and we've got capitalism, right? Right. And, and this capitalism was built off of their white supremacy for us, right? But they got to understand capitalism is a different beast, right? And there's more poor white people than anybody. Right. And they take more white women get more get more uh, affirmative action, affirmative action than anybody. And white people take more of every kind of government program and like everyone. You know what I'm saying? And then they vote against their own interests because they think it's us getting all the things that they're getting. You know what I'm saying? So that's what capitalism has been able to do. They're going to take advantage of everybody. And, you know, I'm not a Marxist, but. That privileged white man had some smart ideas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that capitalism will eat us all. And it's going to do, yeah. it's, it's do that by blaming us. You know that one meme where they got that one dude who's got two cookies on his plate and you got this rich white man who's got all the cookies and then this one black dude that has no cookies and the rich white man with all the cookies says, hey, watch out, that man wants your cookies, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's I think that's the U.S. embodied right there in that one meme. So if people don't start caring about black lives, we all go. All of us. Yeah. It's going to be Fahrenheit 451. It's going to be George Orwell. We're already burning books. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? CRT is going to make it. Like, they just said it's cool to pray in school. And I can't wait for our Muslim brothers and sisters to start praying to their kids. Please, please start singing a prayer in the morning to these white kids. I want, I want to see that. And then maybe, you know, the Supreme Court might say, okay, wait a second. Let's separate church and state. Maybe that was a good thing. I just have no hope. But I do have hope for us to be able to organize in our own communities. I do have hope for us to get out these narratives, to start banging these ancestral drums so these kids start hearing them too. I don't have hope that I can keep all our kids alive, but I do have hope that I can make them proud of who they are, especially Ooh. culture hip hop. Absolutely. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good Absolutely. one. And what would be your message to the hopeful youths? <laughs> to the hopeful you. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm the right messenger. A few of us who still got some hope, Caffrey. What's your message? Uh, don't hope. Uh, no, I would say this. Um, it's, it's not about it's not about being hopeful, right? It's about being the most impactful you can. We stand on the yeah. shoulders of Ida B. Wells, Mega Evers, Marcus Garvey, you know, Phyllis Wheatley. There's so many people who have died and struggled for us to be here. It's not about whether or not I'll get taken out. I'm always worried with the way I show up on LinkedIn. I'm worried somebody's going to come and try to start a race war with me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, so I'm thinking about giving me a vest. You know what I'm saying? But. Boy. But I don't do this work because I think I'm going to win. You know, you don't right. fight a war because you think you're not going to die. You know, you're right. Right, because we got all oh, we got enough forces. So let's fight this. That's not that's not that's not why Mega Evers kept doing that. That's not why those people went in those buses to Mississippi. That's not any of that. You do it because it's the right thing. And that's yeah. it. 
And so every time I talk to a little homie, am I not going to put some knowledge in that? You know what I'm saying? Our people are mentors for free on the weekends. I'm just trying to create jobs and a system to get them paid to do it on the weekdays. And right. that's just it. It's not because I think we're going to save kids from, you know, crazy police officers that, you know, have this superiority complex and see us all as criminals. I don't think I can stop that. I was beaten up three times at gunpoint, twice at gunpoint before I was 17 by the SFPD. And so I don't think I can keep my daughter from experiencing that. But I promise you she's going to know her rights. I promise you she's going to create art about her rights and about women's body sovereignty and all this, because all I can do is teach her justice. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I can protect her from white America. I don't. I don't. But I promise you, if she does get killed by the police officer, she's going to give them hell before she does. Whoa. I mean, it's while inspiring, that is such a sad statement, because for a lot of black people, that is the reality that some of our children may not survive police officers. Some of our children may not survive white supremacy in the most violent form. And I was saying to you that the thing I think white people don't understand. I think when white people hear white supremacy, they hear themselves, but I'm not talking about you. The system of white supremacy is violent to everybody. And that includes white people. I've had conversations with my white girlfriends over these past four days where they are afraid to talk to their family members for fear of violence, not fear of the conversation being shut down, that those family members will be violent to them. So white supremacy doesn't care what color your skin is. It's a violent system. Right. It works on fear. Yeah. And you're either with the program or you are lynched. I live in the Bay Area and there's so many transplants that come from Arkansas Kentucky, and you know what I'm saying? I hear these stories, especially from some of my queer friends, you know, that they don't have family anymore. They just don't. And I can't even understand that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't understand how you could hate your child. I don't care. Like, I just don't get that. But it's real. It's real. And I I think that's the point I want to make and and close with. It's really there, there is no love anymore. There's no love. There's no unity. It's not about the community. It's a very self-centered and hateful mindset. You know, like, right? Like you said, how could you hate your child? And what is it that's really going on is how much do you really hate yourself to be able to keep perpetuating all this hate around you? Yeah. I mean, they say if there's just one accepting parent, and a queer kid's life, it drops their, their suicide rates by like 50, 60%. Yeah. Like, you know, I talk to a lot of black folks about queer communities and whatnot. I'm like, about trans women and whatnot. You know, there's all these intersections. You know, when the pandemic started and I was just really advocating for queer people and the vaccination, people started accusing me of being working for the CIA and trying to destroy the black family. <laughs> all these, all these. <laughs> They thought you were a part of the conspiracy theory. Oh, oh, you know it. You know it. But you're I know you're part of the agenda. Yeah. But, I, you know, I say this. It's like, look, if 83% of trans women were murdered last year were black, what do you have a problem with first? Do you have a problem with them being themselves? Or do you have a problem with 83% of anybody being murdered being black? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's, let's ask some real questions. Do you want these kids to survive, to be happy, or you just really want to just hold Oh, this argument of something that you don't even have to deal with in your life. I think a lot of this stuff is rhetorical for people. And that's why on my LinkedIn, you'll see I put people on blast because I, I post unapologetic black stuff, you know, and, and that's how I'm going viral a little bit now. But 
I see people just come with hate. It's like, I have to tell people, I don't hate white people. Like, you know, I have to post that a couple times a week. Oh, you're like, oh, you just hate white people. Any white people that disagree with I just put them on blast. You can go on my LinkedIn now and see a bunch of the posts that I just screenshot. Like, look what I have to deal with, people. Look what I have to deal with, people. You know what I'm saying? And shout out to my white homies and allies who defend me on there, too. I appreciate y'all so much. But yeah, I think the problem is, is that we are so segregated. We're learning about people from mass media representations, from our own yeah. fear, from hearsay, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Instead yeah. of like literally taking the due diligence and the love to actually learn. So one of the things I say to white people mostly is like, you sound like you have never read anything written by a, a well-respected intellectual black leader on the subject of race. Now, you know, all the books I read when I was growing up was white people, you know what I'm saying? That's just the school system. Like I read, we have to deal with white people, but y'all don't have to deal with us. And it's very telling when, you know, I'm writing an article right now. I'm working on the title, but it's the, I usually get quotes from MLK from white supremacists online. <laughs> like, yeah, that you know, that really bastardized content of character, not the color of your skin. You know, that little one little snippet that they oh, remember. Man. Actually, but they never read Letter from a Birmingham Jail. They didn't know that Martin Luther King gave up on that dream and said he was a little bit naive <laughs> to yeah. have that dream. And it, it became a nightmare. And he yeah, sent right. his people into a burning house. Pretty like, much. They never go beyond. For me personally, whenever somebody non-Black starts with content of character, it's a red flag for me. <laughs> because I understand that the depth of your understanding is on race is oh. so limited. Correct. And that you have no ability to learn anything yeah. beyond that one statement. And I think it's always a red flag for me. Red always. flag immediately. Yeah. So, I mean, I've just been reverting to, like, telling people online, who raised you? Mm. Who raised you? Like, who's wrong with you? Who hurt you? <laughs> what? You saw me post one thing. You saw yeah. me post post a white people are immigrant shirt, right? You saw me put my Make Racist Afraid Again hat on. And all of a sudden, that's bad. Like, do you want racists not to be afraid of being racist? You want them to just be cool? Like, what? You know, but I get all this hate and all this reflexive hate. And I think that's what this white supremacy does. It's reflexive because, you know, I think white supremacists feel attacked. And I also know that the illegal dendral glial cells that myelinate your neural pathways to make them more electrically conducive, you know, those racist neural pathways are so covered in myelin that as soon as they hear MLK, they're like, oh, N-word. Like, they just blurt stuff out like, oh, you're racist. Like, and that's just such a, like a facile understanding of race. And it's terrible. I think our country has shied away from intellectual, you know, prowess and just gone into these 15 second, you know, attention span memes and whatnot. We're not yeah. reading anymore. Yeah. And for sure, white folks are not reading anything from James Baldwin, you know, Audre Lorde, you know what I'm saying? Like we have all these thoughts out here. This is not new. And I got people who have title of construction foreman telling me that they'll school me in any subject in the world, including race and white supremacy online calling me racist. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, wow. You know what I'm saying? So it is a divisive time. I don't know that I'm very hopeful, but I will always put my effort until my last breath, just like Mega Evers did. Because this is, we ain't got no time for nothing else. You know, some people don't want to have kids nowadays because stuff's so crazy. I yeah. argue have more kids because we need to offset these idiots. You know what I'm saying? Like I posted, yes, what was it, last night that the amount of women <laughs> now going in for tubal ligation mm -hmm. has skyrocketed. This one OBGYN said on Friday night, she woke up to 500 requests. 500 requests of women wanting to get their tubes tied. Hmm. 
Like, this is where we are. And I don't think when they did this abortion ban, they even factored in that fact that the response was going to be that some women were just going to tie their tubes. And I don't think these women are tying their tubes because they just want to be irresponsible sexually, but because even if they were the most responsible sexually, because, you know, pregnancy, even when being responsible, actually happens. Condoms breaks. IUDs don't work. Birth control fails. So even when these women are being responsible and the safeguards that they've put in place outside of abstinence, because, you know, God forbid a woman is sexually liberated. Like that's not what we want in our society. Oh no. no. Even when those don't work and they go, you know what? I'm not taking any chance with this government to tell me what I'm going to do with my body. So I'll just make it that my body cannot produce children at all. Period. Uh, And ironically, a lot of those women, when I went into, it was like 30,000 comments on this post. And I was just like reading, and the majority of those women were white women because I think those white women, particularly younger white women, understand that this play was about white bodies having white babies. This play was not about black and brown women. They don't care about us having abortion. Let's be honest about that. But no. this play was about the declining rates of white babies being born in this country. And so because white women ostensibly have more abortions than any other group, You have to stop that. So then you have to stop abortion at its heel. But white women, younger white women are saying, okay, well, we can play this game too. And we'll just tie our tubes. And there's a lot of white gynecologists before that wouldn't have done that, that are now doing that. Mm. And, you know, oh man, that's just going to equal up to another imbalance of all these, you know, conscious people not having kids and all these knuckle draggers. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, having more. That's that's exactly what it's going to be. Sorry. Yeah, it's a shame. I don't know. And if we want to get to a global perspective, I don't know if the U.S. deserves to stand anyway. You know what I'm saying? So let's just keep it 100. I'm a son of the earth. You know what I'm saying? I don't pledge allegiance to the flag. I don't sing the national anthem with this third verse about killing my ancestors. You know what I'm saying? My ancestors built this country, so I feel like it owes me something, you know? But yeah, I think we live in a very evil nation. And I think that evilness has been codified so thoroughly into our laws and our systems that white people have had a past thinking that it's just in their minds. You know, oh, I'm not racist, therefore this. So there's so many little nicks and cuts in this latest, you know, like lethal situation we're putting women in. Uh, it was just a piece of that, you know. This is the start. I think it started during the Tea Party when we got the first black president. White people said, oh, no. Oh, hold the phone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I forgot about the Tea Party. I forgot. No, I think those people just rebranded, right? They became the Trump Patriots. They went from the Tea Party to the Trump Patriots. You're right. I forgot all about that. That's it. That was that was when people started, you know, protesting and saying this is illegitimate, and you know, we start saying he's a Muslim and all this other stuff. That's when Fox News became the Fox News of today. True. 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 The, yeah. the Tea Party changed the right lexicon in the community, and it's never stopped. And it's only getting worse and worse. And now, you know, that's why I have that hat that says "Make Racist Afraid Again." I want them to go back under the rocks so we can get back to trying to move this country forward. Because racists aren't afraid; they're not. They're telling people how they feel out in the streets. It's just what they're doing. So, you know, I think that's the issue. I think that we are going to hell in a handbasket right now. So, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much I can say I'm not hopeful. I'm just not hopeful. But I am hopeful for us to do what we can within our own communities, within our own spaces, within our own neighborhoods. So Right. Absolutely. And I think that's where you come in with hip hop for change, you know. So we thank you so much 
for spreading the word and using your voice and helping other youths use their voice to be able to create their own stories and, and how they feel. You know, so I really hope all of you enjoyed profoundly this conversation as we reach the top of the Diversity Connects Us Hour. I want you to be extremely encouraged and empowered to reach out to Caffrey and Tammy on LinkedIn, as you all heard. Thank you so much for all the information you shared. It was such a pleasure to have you. This podcast always highlights lived experiences and inspirational stories of strength and tenacity. We share profound and courageous dialogues that influence DEI by breaking the barriers and stereotypes, confronting biases and offering best practices to achieve a more significant cultural mindset. Caffrey and Tammy, it's been such a pleasure to have this amazing conversation with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Caffrey. It was awesome. As we reach the top of the Diversity Connects Us Hour, I want to thank all of my listeners for tuning in. My name is Rochelle Carrier, and I'm a DEI personal consultant and EQ coach and authoress of two ebooks, Emotional Intelligence, a Toolkit for Managing Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and Know Yourself to Know Your Employees. The link to purchase the ebooks are in the show notes. Also, be on the lookout for my and Dr. Rudell's coaching workshops, presentations, and webinars. I also want to thank my producer, Titan32. That's his tag name on Fiverr.com. He does our beautiful edits. To trend with us, hashtag diversity connects us.